What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Rewired Soul podcast. And today is a bonus episode. So check it out. We have returning guest and author, Michelle Wooker. All right. So check it out. Uh, she has written a couple books. The first one being Gray Rhino. Second one that recently came out is You Are What You Risk. So I reached out to Michelle. First off, Michelle is just an uh, absolutely amazing, awesome woman. Love her. She's great. We talk on the side and such. She's very helpful. So it's always really nice to know or meet authors who are also cool behind the scenes. All right. So make sure you grab Michelle's books and follow her because she's just a cool person. But anyways, as some of you know, as I've mentioned on the podcast and if you follow me on social media, earlier in September, actually the first day of September, I lost my job. And I know you're super worried. Don't worry because fortunately, you know, I, I work my butt off and I'm doing all these other things. I have the podcast, I have the YouTube channel, I write and all that. But anyways, I asked Michelle to come on because as I'm doing this and juggling all these different things and I'm starting to do some freelancing and stuff like that, I think a lot about risk management when it comes to where we spend our time, right? And Michelle, that's exactly what her books are about. Not specifically uh, opportunity costs and how we spend our time, but it's all about risk, right? And her most recent book, she talks about risk fingerprints and things like that. But anyways, I'm always like, okay, well, if I spend my time over here, I'm not spending time over there and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, as I was thinking about it, I was just going to have a conversation with Michelle on the side because she's awesome and she's down to do that. But I was like, you know what? There's probably other people out there. Uh, either you're a writer or you're just doing your own thing. Like with the way our world is, especially, you know, just uh, with the gig economy and all of that, a lot of us are trying to do things on the side, little side hustles, bring in some extra income. So I was like, hey, let's record an episode because I'm sure some of you listening, you have this same deal, right? You're like, well, should I be, you know, doing freelance work or should I be focusing on my own writing? And, you know, not only do we talk about that, but also, you know, how long do I work on a project before I figure it's not working and I should give up because there's something called the sunk cost fallacy, which Michelle and I talk about in this episode as well. But anyways, uh, e even if you're not a writer, an entrepreneur, a freelancer, whatever it is, I think there's a lot of great topics in this episode about just how we, how we view the world and where we're spending our time and, and all this other stuff. So I, I hope you listen to this episode and enjoy it as much as I enjoyed talking with Michelle. And uh, yeah, she's great too. She's like very creative and I love just bouncing around ideas with her. So I hope you enjoyed this uh, bonus episode. And again, like I said, down in the description, make sure you are following Michelle. I've linked both both of her books, Gray Rhino and You Are What You Risk. Make sure you grab copies of those. All right. And while you're at it, make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter, because like I said, and like you'll hear about in here, I've been doing a lot of writing and I'm working on some outlines for some upcoming books and things like that. So make sure that you stay tuned to all that by following me at The Rewired Soul on Instagram and Twitter. But anyways, without further ado, here's my conversation with Michelle about managing risks and all sorts of other fun topics. All right. Hello, Michelle. Thanks so much for joining me today. 
Hey, Chris, it's so great to see you. You too. And yeah, you have your lovely books displayed right there. So for those who don't know you, you've already done an episode and we talked about, you know, uh, some of your work. But for those who don't know you, who are you? What do you do? Because we're going to be talking about risk today. <laughs> sure. Well, my uh, my biggest claim to fame is having coined the term gray rhino, which is for the, the big scary thing that's coming right at you. You know, imagine it in front of you and think about the choice that you've got. You know, you, you can get out of the way, you can get trampled, you can hop on its back and use the, the strength. And it's gray because all rhinos actually are gray. But of the five remaining species on the planet, one of them is called black and the other one is called white. Neither one of us is actually that color. So that part of the metaphor is for how much more likely we are than we think to kind of miss the obvious, but to say you're not condemned to do so. Yeah. So that's the great rhino. Um, in former lives, I was a financial journalist, uh, a think tank and a media executive. And I spend my time now, uh, well, going virtually around the world now speaking mm -hmm. <laughs> in, in before times is actually uh, physically. Um, and I try to help companies and policymakers and uh, individuals too uh, to do better to deal with that, the gray rhinos in their lives. And my new book is You Are What You Risk, uh, which is a sequel. It goes much more into the psychological and cultural elements, whereas mm -hmm. uh, the Gray Rhino book itself looked at the, the different stages of a Gray Rhino event and some of the factors at each stage that affect why you are dealing or denying and how to use that knowledge to to, to better strategize and, and respond to the, the big, scary gray, gray Rhinos coming at you. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love the metaphor. And, and, you know, one of the reasons I brought you here today is because I almost feel like I see gray rhinos charging at me everywhere and I need to turn, tune it down a little bit. But anyway, so uh, this episode, the reason why you're here, because earlier this month, lost my job, but it's cool. I'm doing fine. But I personally hate working for people. Like I've just always hated. I've always wanted to do my own thing. Last time I got laid off due to, you know, the economy and stuff. I just hustled and did my own thing. It worked for a while, but then I finally made the decision to go back to work because it wasn't doing so great. So now I'm back in that boat and I brought you here because the economy has sucked. Uh, unemployment's getting a little bit better, but there aren't a lot of people like me who want to kind of build their own self-sustaining thing. But I'm constantly thinking about and maybe obsessing over where should I spend my time, right? So. You talked a lot about like risk profiles and everything like that. So I know it's going to vary from person to person, but I'm hoping this can help people kind of look at what they're doing. So do you have, do you have any experience like working with like uh, entrepreneurs or like, we're going to be talking about like opportunity costs. Is that, is that something that you, oh, you talk about and assess? Through my own life and through people. But, but I wanted to clarify something you mentioned risk profile and it's actually funny because I don't actually talk about risk profiles. I talk about risk fingerprints. That's and you're what not it the first is. Yeah. Person. All these people keep talking about this this other word, and I can't figure out how it it somehow I, I don't know. comes up in people's minds. But anyway, risk but, fingerprint is really the concept I want to get across, uh, which is the you know it's like your real fingerprint. They're the the things that the innate parts, the experiences, the habits, uh, and then there's the imprint that it leaves, which is the risk decisions that you make, which is like the you know, the imprint on a wine glass at a crime scene. Um, yeah. But this risk fingerprint is, you know, what are all the factors in your life that go into the risk choices and, uh, and decisions that you make? And each of those choices tells the world who you are. And so 
by having insights into why you're making the risk decisions that you do, you can be so much better at optimizing your strengths mm. at offsetting your, your weaknesses and setting up a sort of ecosystem and a set of, of habits that help you to make better risk decisions. And mm. that, you know, for, for entrepreneurs, for you know, solopreneurs, for, for freelancers, for people, you know, going back and forth between, you know, real jobs and, and working for yourself, which, which I did a lot early in my career, that understanding of your own relationship with risk is a powerful tool mm -hmm. for helping you to, to sort of optimize your, your environment and make the rest the right decisions while navigating this, this whole world of uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how I miss it. Your book's right there. You got a fingerprint on the freaking book cover, but, uh, so, so let's talk about that. Um, you know, you dive into it in the book. So for me personally, like I was saying, like, I kind of see these, these rhinos flying all over the place and I'm always worried. Like, uh, years ago when I got sober, I was diagnosed with a generalized anxiety disorder. You know, I still take medications to sort of manage it, you know, along with depression and all that stuff. But Anxiety, anxiety is one of the most common forms of, you know, uh, mental health issues, you know, depending on the severity and all that. So is that something that we should be taking into an account when looking at our, our risk fingerprint? Like, what would you say to someone who's like, yeah, my anxiety is like kind of here, you know, on a regular basis? Absolutely. And, and that's part of the, the innate personality part of things, but it also speaks to what you do about it, you know, the, the habits that you create, obviously, you know, medications help, but also really understanding what makes your anxiety level go up and mm -hmm. down, which is so important in risk management because traditional risk management is all about, you know, assigning numbers, you know, based on actuarial tables and history and, you know, yeah. theoretical or uh, probabilities uh, based on information we know, but there's this huge emotional component mm. to risk taking that doesn't get enough attention in, in, the, in the professional world. And mm. of course, for, for freelancers, uh, for, for entrepreneurs, it's, it's front and center. It's like, mm -hmm. how do you get yourself to a good psychological state where you're making the right decisions? Mm -hmm. And there are lots of components to that. Um, one of them is that you're sort of your, uh, your social network, the people mm. around you. Do you have the right people to go and ask questions about this? And I know you do. I know I'm one of many people you, yeah. you come and ask the right questions to, which is really, really powerful. And there's research that shows that, that knowledge can, uh, can change the way you perceive mm. risks. And, and rightly so, it's not just perceiving it, but, but actually creating a positive feedback loop. Like the more you know about a situation, the more likely it is that you're going to make a good decision about it so that, you know, having the right people around you to help you get the right knowledge is, is really important. And, and I, mm. I assume hopefully correctly that, that you found that to be something that reduces your anxiety. Mm. Um, so it's, it's about, you know, the, the environment, um, there's also the physical environment and people don't pay enough attention to this, but. Um, it's that, you know, how much sleep you've gotten, you know, what mm. you're eating uh, in, in risk literature, actually, uh, there've been some studies showing that if you eat spicy food for the few hours afterwards, you are more likely to be risk seeking, you need to take more risks. Mm. So, you know, it's uh, whether you like spicy food or not. Um, but, but there are stereotypes about people who like spicy food being bigger risk takers. And there probably is something to that. 
Um, but that, of course, you know, what you eat, the, the environment affects your, your body, your, you know, your heart rate variability, your mm. stress hormones, all of that. Uh, there's research showing that the cooler temperatures uh, make you more risk seeking. Uh, but also that if you're in an environment where you're comfortable, you can actually focus on what you need to do to mm. make that decision. So, so part of the process is you know, figuring out your work environment, even you know the, the color of the walls, mm. uh, whether you're comfortable or not, the, you know, the temperature in the room, if you have background music. I mean, I, I've got playlists for, yeah. for when I'm writing that, that really help me to, to focus. Um, so thinking about the environment, you know, your innate personality, your habits, your processes, is there something that you can do when you've got a task in front of you that puts you in the right mindset? I mean, for me, sometimes, you know, washing dishes or sorting out the sock mm -hmm. drawer, you know, I used to think those were procrastination tools. And uh, I finally realized that they were they're actually rituals. You know, it's, yeah. it's employing a different part of your brain uh, that then goes and works on the information that you need. So I find if I get this incredible urge to, to file stuff and, and toss out paper and do all that, when I get one of those urges, I know that I'm about to have a big creative burst. So I, I embrace it. I go throw out those yeah. pieces of paper, do whatever tedious work I need to do. So understanding how your environment, how your choices, how the, 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 the whole setup around you affects your anxiety is mm. really, really important for it, particularly for people who are relying on, on themselves who, you know, mm -hmm. aren't working at a company where maybe they can, you know, slack off and somebody might not notice. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's interesting that you, you talk about, you know, who we have around and stuff and, you know, and, and even just educating ourselves, like, like, you know, as most people know by now, I read an insane amount of books. And one thing I've learned is, is it helps decrease my anxiety because I'm getting knowledge, like something I think about a lot. And one of, you know, one of the ways I was introduced to your books, well, aside from Ann Janzer, who's awesome, but also earlier this year at the ripe age of, you know, 36 or earlier this year, I was 35. But anyways, I, I finally got into investing. Right. And like, cause I was like, Hey, Chris, you're an adult. You should probably learn how to manage your money. And I started looking at this stuff when I read, like, dozens of books on investing. And, you know, as I experimented a little bit and just kind of monitor myself, uh, I realized like I'm the type of guy who gets into like ETFs. Like I just want, you know, a nice little group and, and stocks together. But also I've been talking with people about vaccines and everything. And like you mentioned too, like I can talk to you. There's a lot of other people who are, you know, uh, who are writers and things like that, who I can turn to and ask questions. Anne's been really helpful. And with vaccines, I've heard people, you know, when I'm like, Hey, how do we find experts? How do we know who to talk to? And they're like, Hey, just, you know, find somebody. And I think, you know, for everybody listening, like a lot of people will reply. Like if you just tweet something out, right. Like, people will reply like they can just tag somebody about you know like uh uh you know whether it's you know and not like medical advice but you know just like hey does anybody have any resources on this or whatever and kind of assess a little bit better but like something something where i need your help with especially in this realm right so i switched gears right so i was doing the whole youtube thing grew up pretty well focusing on like mental health addiction and stuff like that. And now I'm in this space. still trying to figure out the branding of it. Right. I read a ton. I like to learn a lot. I like to talk to a lot of different people. So one thing, like when we're talking about like where to allocate my time, one thing that I'm always thinking about is how much do I focus on like growing, uh, just 
you know, building this new audience because new people are coming in and everything like that. But on the other side, and this is going to be coming up throughout our conversation, on the other side, I have bills, I have a son and everything, right? So I don't, you know, I don't like focusing on the money aspect because it's just like, if you're just like, sell, sell, sell here, buy my books, sign up for this, you know, da, da, da. Feels kind of sleazy, but at the same time, it's like, okay, I need money. But on the other hand, I like building relationships. I like writing a bunch of free content and putting stuff out there. You know what I mean? So where, where, would, I, where would I start finding that balance between growing and selling? You know what I mean? Or offering free versus paid, these types of things. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the sort of, you know, what's the center of the, of the Venn diagram, you know, mm. the, the, the stuff you love, the st stuff that people like and, you know, the stuff that produces income. And, you know, there's, there are really short-term income questions, you know, how, how do you pay the rent this month? And then there are the longer term questions. And I think people don't, don't invest enough time in the longer term questions. Uh, a lot of freelancers, you know, particularly beginning are, you know, chasing a bunch of small gigs because mm -hmm. that's what's coming in. Um, but they're not spending enough time thinking about, thinking strategically about, okay, what's, what's the bigger client down the road? What's the, the repeat client, the subscription, the, the you know, the thing that's, that's really going to help me get to where I want to go. Uh, there's a forest versus trees thing. Yeah. And so obviously you, you have to spend time bringing in the, the money immediately. Uh, and so you've, I would say, you know, budget your time uh, for that, depending on you know, how much you need to bring in each month, but then make sure you're also budgeting time for the, you know, the longer term things. And of course, these days, uh, you know, content can actually, uh, you know, create incomes in ways that it, it didn't in the past when we didn't mm -hmm. have all of these different channels. So that, that means thinking about, uh, you know, how does the content how, how do you monetize the content? You know, mm -hmm. do you get a, a sponsor? Do you set up a, a Patreon or, you know, do you charge for, for your Substack or things like that? And that goes back to the branding question that, you know, what, what kind of information will people or companies pay for? Mm -hmm. And so that involves, you know, again, talking to people, uh, you know, talk to companies who might be interested in associating with the the really high quality conversations that, that you are having, mm -hmm. uh, you know, who would be interested in, in sponsoring that and, you know, among individuals, uh, it's, it's something I've thought about a lot because obviously you know, I sell books. I mean, there's, there, there's sort of, you know, very small margin, hopefully high volume. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a lot easier to sell a hundred books, you know, than, you know, one book. And obviously the, the information and the conversations are important, but how many people are there out there who would pay for access to this, uh, these conversations and how do you split that up between what keeps the public conversation going, which is a real service and impact, mm -hmm. which draws people to you. But then what's, what's the premium part of it that, that people will pay extra for mm -hmm. is that you know, a, a masterclass with some of your guests. I mean, you're, you've got such a great network and, and, you know, such great charisma for talking with people, uh, you know, that might be a part of it is, is there a series of books, you know, you're hearing more and more about uh, authors serializing their mm -hmm. books, their novels. That's actually very, very big in Asia. Uh, really? So really thinking about the, the, the overlap between what kind of content 
will attract income and what kind of content will attract income indirectly. Yeah, yeah. And so something I, I've been thinking about, like where I'm personally at, and hopefully I'll, I'll have a little bit more of a decision by the time this episode comes out. But anyway, something I've been thinking about a lot. So like I, I work like a crazy person, right? So just like to put it in perspective, let's start with YouTube, right? So YouTube, within a matter of a year or two, I had well over a thousand videos, right? Sometimes I was doing two, three videos a day. It was making me full-time money before I went back to work and stuff like that because the algorithm just stamped showing me love. But anyways, like well over a thousand videos. There are people who have been on the platform for years and have like less than 300 videos. You know what I mean? So like mm -hmm. just the quantity, but anyways, like this podcast, I started it in May, right? At the time of recording this, I'm almost at 90 episodes. So you figure a lot of people are doing like one episode a week. Like you follow me on Twitter. You probably see I've been doing daily episodes. Sometimes I've even posted on the weekends. But anyways, what I'm getting at is where should somebody like myself in the situation I'm in look at it where it's like, I love this podcast. I love talking with people. Like with all the books I read, I started this podcast with them like, I want to ask these people questions and I'm sure other people want to learn about this stuff too, you know? So I know you just mentioned kind of like, you know, what can bring in income. And I guess what I'm trying to figure out now is, uh, you know, looking at sponsors based on the size of this, but also turning this down to focus on other projects that could potentially do more like financially. Right. So the last week or so I've been, I've been trying to be a lot more selective with, you know, what books I'm taking into review, who I'm inviting on the podcast, you know what I mean? So I guess there's that question of what I enjoy, what's fun with focusing on things that, you know, bring in stuff because I'm a big mental health nerd and something that drives people nuts is when they just start doing stuff for the money or for the, you know, whatever. So, but when you're in my position, you gotta, you gotta give and take a look. Absolutely. So. Well, you know, and I think there's, there's, a, there's, there's something that you haven't quite mentioned, which is that the potential for burnout, yeah. um, <laughs> which, which happens a lot to, to entrepreneurs, to people who are doing things that they really, really love. And it's been one of my biggest personal struggles throughout mm. my career. In fact, in one of these, you know, filing episodes recently, right before I was, you know, about to get a creative first, I found this really, really old job review, which I can't believe I've been like dragging around in some box for 20 years. I'm like getting rid of that too. But it was like, you know, Michelle is operating just on the edge of burnout. And if she could, you know, think how to you know, tone it down a little bit, but still get the same impact. And, and I think that's a very real important question for you. So, mm -hmm. so how do you do that? I, I take some time to go back over the podcast, look at, you know, which ones are getting the most uh, views or listens. Mm -hmm. And what's the kind of impact that's coming out of each one and the, you know, the, the ideas uh, I would do perhaps a smaller number of podcasts and figure out, uh, you know, if you're not monetizing a particular one, is there something else that you could do with it? Um, you know, you know, I, I know Anne does, you know, she'll do interviews. She'll have the, 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 you know, blog post version of it with the edited transcript. And she's got these books that, that pull all of her wisdom together. And she does such a fantastic job marketing them. I've learned a lot from her. Um, but think about the, the impact and the, uh, you know, the financial element 
of each one of those uh, those podcasts and interviews. Mm. And, uh, you know, it take away, we, you talked about you know, opportunity costs before, and, and that's really a form of risk management. It's like, if you're spending your time on one thing, it means that yeah. you're not spending your time on something else. And people think of risk taking as here's a single risk that I'm taking. And they think, well, if I invest this money, I could lose money, but they don't also think, you know, oh, I might, you know, gain money. Yeah. Like, there, there are a lot of Wall Street uh, analysts who will talk regularly about you know, upside and downside surprises. And it's really important to think about that uh, when you're thinking about what you're spending your your time doing. Uh-huh. Is that by spending time on one thing, are you giving up yeah. upside opportunity somewhere somewhere else? Yeah. Uh, and if, if you, uh, you know, overlay that with the question about the, you know, does it, does it feed your soul? You know, does yeah. it, you know, is it in keeping with the, with the rewiring? Uh, yeah. So, and thinking about, you know, adding a, an element of, of measuring the, the burnout and stress factor, because uh-huh. you're probably burning out way before you realize that you're burning out. Yeah. Yeah. For me personally, it's, it's really interesting because I'm go, go, go. Cause I, I'm the type of person where I get really, really antsy if I'm not doing anything, but like, for example, like, uh, yesterday, like I was like, Chris, you need to just chill for a bit. Right. But I think there's also this issue when you're quote unquote unemployed and doing this for yourself. Like I, some days I feel like I'm working harder than I did at my job than I was just at, you know what I mean? And there's this weird thing because, uh, like if I'm not doing anything, I'm like, what, you know, what's going on? I'm, you know, I'm lazy. And, you know, there's, there's that self-talk that comes in, which might be a whole different episode where we bring in a therapist too or something, you know, but it's just like, you're sitting here and I'm just like, well, I should, I should, I should be doing something, but you're absolutely right. Like, like I notice it when it's too late and then I kind of pull that plug. So something I am trying to do is, and I would love to know your thoughts on this for like, let me, let me put this out there too. So I have all sorts of contacts. So there's, there's the podcast I'm writing on Substack. I, I publish my weekly reading list over on the, the website. Which are I, great. I've gotten so many good books off of this. <laughs> well, today, today at the time we're recording this, I just started something new because I'm a crazy person. We'll talk about new projects in a second where I'm, I'm putting, I'm batching like my top favorite books in a certain genre, right? So this, this one I just released today was the first one. It was like my favorite books on understanding groupthink, right? So that way, if somebody's interested in a certain topic, anyways, so I got all these, all these things going on. So I'd love to know your thoughts, like for these kind of, uh, people like myself and this kind of entrepreneurial state, what are your thoughts on like batching? Like, is that a decent method? Do you think that would decrease risk of burnout? Like, cause I I've done pretty good with a calendar and I'm wondering like, should this day be okay. Batch your upcoming podcast episodes this day, batch your upcoming, like this list of fives that I'm doing for books. That's something I could plan in advance. You know what I mean? So what are your thoughts on batching versus kind of just going day by day? I think you can, you can actually do both. Um, when hmm. I, when I taught writing, uh, when I was at the School of International Public Affairs uh, at, uh, at Columbia, uh, I talked with my students about ethical double dipping hmm. and, you know, to, to take the same bit of content and uh, rework it for different contexts and different impacts and, uh, you know, listicles, you know, book list people, people love those. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also an opportunity to think about 
the audience, you know, who's interested in a list of books about groupthink and who might be interested in, in, you know, sponsoring or otherwise supporting that, you know, here's a bigger project around groupthink. Here's the list of books. Here's a, you know, here's a collection of conversations. This could be a, a ah. course, you know, how can you, how can you slice and dice the same content in different ways? Sometimes it's something that, uh, that reaches an audience differently. I mean, for me uh, in particular, um, I've been surprised by how I write something for one audience. Like The Great Rhino was written for yeah. uh, you know, business and policy decision makers. Uh-huh. And, and they're, you know, they're using it uh, all the time. I just got a bunch of Google alerts uh, today that the deputy prime minister of Korea was uh, you know, talking about uh, uh, Grey Rhinos and, and, and pensions. Nice. Um, but so, so I went out on book tour and I had this organic response going, how do I apply this to my personal life? Or people who said, here's how I applied it to my personal yeah. life. I mean, you know, a, a, an eighth grader in Bangalore started a whole digital addiction as a gray rhino campaign and got invited to speak at the United Nations. Huh. Uh, you know, a blogger in Indiana here in the United States talked about, you know, a friend with breast cancer and uh, how she was very aggressive in in dealing with that gray rhino personally, but how he went and he went on a marathon to raise money for breast cancer to sort of do his part to help to uh, mm. keep it from uh, from uh, hitting other people. And so I and that's how you are what you risk came about. Actually, is it is it take some of the same questions, which actually include uh, groupthink, as you know, mm-hmm. um, but but taking a much more personal approach to the same questions that, that I'd asked in the gray rhino and, and flipping it. Uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, when you, when you look at our, look at the responses to your blogs and podcasts, are you, are you finding that you're re- reaching an audience that you didn't necessarily intend? And mm-hmm. if so, might there be a slightly different way you could recast that and market it to, to that audience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Here's something else like, okay. So one of the frustrating things coming from the, uh, the YouTube world, like you post a YouTube video and there's a whole comment section, there's likes and dislikes, which as a creator can drive you nuts because people say shitty things in the comments or sometimes people just dislike because they're jerks or whatever. Right. But it's, it's data, it's feedback and me being the over analytical guy I am. Right. But with a podcast. There's nothing. And by the way, everybody listening right now, this is why I need you to like interact on social media because I feel like I'm flying blind, right? So I think that's a good question. Like when you're when you're talking with people about risk, is there are there any situations like mine where you're not getting as much feedback? Like I can see which episodes kind of did better, right? Um, right now it's like maybe like a two or three percent better, but sometimes when I have like uh, a bigger author, or if I time it right with the book launch, because I'm always, you know, my background's in marketing, so I'm kind of looking at that stuff, you know. Uh, so like a bigger author, it might be like two or three x what it, what my average is, or or whatever. But anyways, I'm dealing with very little data, and I think other people out there might be too. Like for example, uh, with my background in marketing, and you probably know this too, it's very hard to know what's working. You have like a bajillion things out there, and you're like, okay, I don't. No, like Google alerts is a great way to set it up. You know, there's like uh, certain things that might pop up, but otherwise marketing is very difficult. So when we have minimal data, how should we kind of look at that and assess the situation? Well, you know, such a good point. And sometimes, you know, you get the data a long time 
later. I mean, mm. you, you never know who's listened to the podcast and what that what that leads to. Um, so there, it's 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 very it's very mushy. It seems to me that you know, with your ability to facilitate conversations and connect with people, a format that involves a more interactive uh, uh, situation, I think could be very, very helpful. Uh, I think both to the people who are allowed to kind of join into the conversation, uh, but both for you as for, for getting feedback. Uh, you know, mm. the last the last uh, few months since You Are What You Risk came out, I've been doing a lot of, uh, of virtual events, so different from how my, my past books were. Um, but you know, when we when we were doing the initial launch, I asked a bunch of people, like, should we do a webinar where we can see the audience or should we do a regular meeting where we, you know, a, a, a webinar where, where you can't see the audience, a meeting mm. where you can. And I opted for the meeting version, which made me so happy because the the conversation was so much more powerful. Yeah. And some of the great Rano work that I still do is, is you know, classes and uh, with companies or, or, or governments and you know, groups where we've definitely got that chat function going. And I can get a sense immediately from, you know, from the chat box what people are responding to. And I intentionally throw out questions that will elicit responses. Yeah. And I get a much better sense from that. And I, I, so I do think that there will be a lot of value both to you and to your audience from more of these interactive uh, things, like a, a, a masterclass uh, kind okay. of series, perhaps. And you look at the, you know, the kind of people you have on and you, you people who are very interested in how the mind works, a lot of business applications, uh, a lot of well-being and, and mental health. Okay, which companies are interested in reaching an audience mm. who is interested in going deeper in that topic? And how could you help them to, you know, to reach an audience with, with the, the very, very powerful set of skills that you're bringing to these conversations? Yeah, I like, I like, I like how your mind works, Michelle. This is good. I like that. Um, and so... So talking about this, and by the way, I'm taking down notes and I hope people listening are taking down notes too. Like I have all these little notes I'm taking, but something else, which kind of ties into this, I, I, I think about a lot. And like I said, I just started this new kind of batch of five today and all this stuff. And here's the thing. All right. So you, as you know, like we live in this world of like, uh, just go, go, go be inspired. Don't give up, never give up. And I'm all for that, right? Like there were plenty of times I wanted to give up on my sobriety, but I pushed through, right? You never know when just opportunity is right there or just something amazing is going to happen. But with all these things I'm putting out there and testing and seeing what works and all that stuff, the, the question I've been dying to ask to see where your thoughts are like, how do you look at it when you're like, all right. I should probably stop this. Like, this is not bringing in the returns. And I, and I love, you know, learning about biases and everything. And I am always worried that I'm going to fall into the sunk cost fallacy, you know, like, oh, well, I put so much work or, you know, then there's that, that idea, well, what if I stop it now? And then tomorrow would have been the huge one. So, but like we're talking about with opportunity cost, if I keep focusing on this thing, 
there's a chance I'm missing on something else, right? And I live in Las Vegas and that's how we make all our money because you never know when you're going to hit that stupid little button on the slot machine. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so with how, how, how do we know when we should start thinking about, okay, maybe this just isn't working. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the, the hardest conversations when, when, when applying great, great rhino theory is that sometimes letting something get trampled is the best decision. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you've got a product that's obsolete, if there's an employee who's bringing other people down, if there's a client who's bringing people down, which I, I, I write about in, uh, in You Are What You Risk, there, there was, oh. um, so let's talk with that, with Dr. Cindy McGovern, who's got a great book called uh, Every Job is a Sales Job. I talk about applying sales techniques to other things in life. But so we were talking about risk and she was talking about one of her, her clients who, who really uh, didn't want to let go of a certain client. And this was a company that provided certain, you know, freebies and bonuses to, to their, their uh, clients and didn't necessarily differentiate. They'd give the same, you know, free class to someone who was paying them $10,000 a year to as to someone who's paying half a million a year. And there's this one client who didn't want to increase their, uh, you know, their, their, uh, their level of services or the money, amount of money they were paying. And, but she didn't want to lose the client. That was the thing she was most afraid of. Mm -hmm. And so, so Dr. Cindy asked her, okay, okay. What's the worst that could happen if you lose this client, what would you do with that time? Mm -hmm. And the person actually eventually kind of you know, pushed the envelope and said, look, you've, you've, you've got to come up. And they, they did lose the client and it was okay. And all of a sudden their time was freed up to do, to do other mm. things. And so that's where having fresh eyes, you know, having your sort of, um, you know, uh, you know, the rhino tracking team around you, you know, to ask people, Hey, uh, you know, does this make sense? And, and listen to people. And the other part, what happens to me when it's time to stop doing something is I find it takes me more and more time to do it. And I find that, you know, it, you know, when I'm finding myself being less enthusiastic about mm. something, then that sets off red flags that here's, here's time to do something else. But that's also why, um, this goes into the burnout question is why it's important to set aside time to ask yourself these sort of questions, mm. you know, it, to, to you just take, take a step back, evaluate things, see if they are having the impact or the financial return or the, the, the emotional return uh, that mm -hmm. you want. And if you don't have a resounding yes to that question, um, actually, uh, my friend Greg, Greg McEwen, who's got a book called um, uh, Essentialism actually kind of goes into mm. this and a newer book called, uh, called, called effortless that came out this spring. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are on my list of stuff to read too. <laughs> so that kind of, those kind of talk about that a little bit too. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I, you know, really look at, you know, the risks that you're taking by continuing something, you know, say, is this, yeah. is this a good choice? You know, every, every choice is a risk, you know, every risk is a choice, but we don't necessarily think enough about the the opportunity cost of things or we don't think about our choices enough as as risk management um mm. you know i did a, a great rhino workshop here in chicago a few years ago 
And one of the people there was a young man who was used to the time management was his problem. Mm. And I, I, his job was so boring. I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> it should be maybe like a little clue as to where this story is going. But yeah. he was, he was actually creating an app. And, um, I said, well, there are time management apps out there. So no, nothing that really does what I want. And, and he said, when I'm working on the app, I just, you know, I don't, I don't get distracted. I'm really making a lot of progress. So I said, okay, your, your problem is not time management. Your problem is your job sucks and yeah. you need to find something where you can apply yourself more. And so that's the sort of screen for, for any opportunity. And you know, a lot of people who are in traditional jobs, you know, with the regular paycheck and the benefits and everything, um, mm -hmm. look at, you know, the risk of losing the job as, you know, losing that stability, losing the, the insurance, losing the whatever, but they don't look at the risk of staying mm -hmm. of failing to be able to reach out for something else. And um, I actually got all sorts of thoughts around the whole policy environment about, you know, whether companies paying for health insurance is really how we should do it. I mean, you know, mm. I, I think that yeah, people are at jobs shorter and shorter, you know, fewer and fewer times and um, fewer and fewer years and switching jobs more often. And I know what a pain it is when I've changed jobs. I had to switch to a different health insurance, have to oh, yeah. find new doctors and figure out all the rules. And you have to wait three months before it kicks in. And it's a complete, it's, it's inefficient. It's stupid. Um, you know, Cobra, when, you know, when you lose your job, you have to pay for it yourself. You're, you know, it's, it's a, it's a ton of money and, yeah. you know, it's only, it's, it's temporary. It's not a great system, particularly when we're dealing with public major public health crises. So, you know, maybe there should be a different way of providing that health insurance stability mm -hmm. and not linking it so closely to jobs. I actually read about a company, I forget which one it was, but that they were actually, instead of buying the, you know, the corporate health insurance plan, uh, because we now have the, the healthcare exchanges and we're, we're, people have access to more options themselves, they said, here, we're going to give you X number of dollars to cover your health insurance. We need proof that you're actually spending it on health insurance, but where you put it is totally up to you. Like that, that makes so much more sense than mm -hmm. the system we have right now. Yeah, yeah. I could talk all day about this ridiculous healthcare system. I just got the other the other day, speaking of Cobra, I got the thing from Cobra and I, I laughed. Like, I just think it's the silliest system. Like, hey, you lost your job. You lost a source of income. You want to pay like five times more than what you were for insurance. I'm like, something doesn't seem, this doesn't seem too, too rational. But, but speaking, speaking of money too, something, something else, like I've been, I've been reading just so many books on just writing and entrepreneurship, like writing's the thing I, I love to, I love learning. I love putting it back out there and teaching and all that kind of stuff. But anyways, um, and this is something that a lot of entrepreneurs face because there's so many, uh, like financial investments, right? So I've become like, even though I, I work at marketing, like I've, I'm a little bit of like a marketing, like nihilist where I'm just like, there's no guarantee this will work. Right. But you know, there's things just like, uh, uh, you know, paying for ads, right. Um, you know, hiring editors and, you know, just like as like, a, a an independent author and stuff like that. And there's all these options for like putting money in here. Right. But then I'm looking like, like right now, like, Fortunately, like I said earlier this year, I finally decided to be smarter with my money. So thankfully I have like savings and I'm good. I am good for a while. I'm like not stressed and stuff, but 
that can change if I start putting money into these things. Like in the past, for example, in the past, just messing around with stuff, I've experimented with ads. I've experimented with paint. And like, I've seen a little to no results. And these are things that I either A, know, or B, I'm a kind of smart guy. I think I can educate myself on it, right? But anyways, anyways, part of it is saving myself time, right? So I could do other stuff. But like looking at finances for everybody who's kind of like in business for themselves, like, is there, is there like a risk formula for like looking at how much we should invest based on how much we're earning or, you know, should we take the risk, like, you know, not earning stuff, you know, I'll just throw an example out there, the podcast, I'm not bringing in anything yet. Would it make sense to invest some in it? Right? Like how should we look at putting money into the business versus just spending time to do it ourselves? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends on your goals. I mean, mm. you know, in terms of ads, you know, for, uh, you know, if you're just promoting the podcast, if you don't have a sponsor for the podcast, then that yeah. those ads aren't going to, you're not going to get a return on that. Or, you know, with, uh, you know, with books or selling, you know, small ticket things for that to make sense, you've got to sell a whole bunch of it, which means you've got to invest a whole lot in mm -hmm. ads. Um, for me, I... I you know, the way I've, I've dealt with things is really investing more in, uh, in time, uh, and in relationships. And, uh, for me, it's been, um, uh, you know, earned media, uh, where, you know, I've been lucky enough, uh, you know, particularly over the last year as the gray writers really, you know, become emblematic of the, the ignored warnings ahead of COVID, <laughs> yeah. um, is that obviously I do this, you know, spend the time doing the, the interviews. Um, but that helps with kind of the, the word of mouth that, that gets, uh, you know, speaking engagements or consulting engagements or, or whenever. Um, so I think that, that, um, for you focusing on who wants, who would want to support your work and invest the time in building those relationships. Uh. Um, and, you know, I think that the financial equation for any business is, is completely different. I mean, somebody who's got a business where they're, they're making things and you've got to invest yeah. in prototypes and inventory and all that, like you need a much bigger cushion than you do otherwise. And it also depends on something, you know, I call sort of your risk portfolio across life. Yeah. You know, your mm. financial advisors will talk about diversifying, you know, within just your financial investments and they've got uh, all sorts of formulas for doing that which are of you know varying uh, relevance but i think you need to really look across your whole life you know the risks uh that someone's taking in in a startup or their own business or you know working for the man in a uh, traditional job uh you know the sort of career risks the you know relationship risks the financial risks the, you know, do you have someone else who's helping to pay the bills? Do you have a rainy day fund? You know, do you have another investment fund or retirement? What are your financial resources? Um, and the you know, sort of health and, uh, and uh, you know, sort of recreation and safety, you know, do you go bungee, bungee jumping or not? Like if you're, if you're starting up a business, like maybe going and doing extreme sports is not such a great idea when your whole business depends on you. But think about the risk level in each of those areas and think about where you want to be taking the most sort of positive constructive risks, you know, building a business mm. um, and then figure out what you need to support that. So, you know, in, in investing, for example, you know, think about that portfolio 
not just as whatever's, you know, in the bank, in the, in the brokerage, but how that relates to the investment in the business. Um, and, you know, because that's a high risk investment. So the rest mm -hmm. of your portfolio should probably be, a, you know, a little more conservative than, than otherwise. Mm. Uh, a lot of people, particularly right now with all this, you know, money pumping into the market and day traders thinking that they're brilliant because whatever they do, you know, money goes up, you know, yeah. um, you know, think about, hey, what what happens when they take the punch bowl away and could you afford to lose that? So maybe shrink the really aggressive part of the portfolio. Mm. I mean, a lot of people would feel a lot of FOMO about that, but I think it's, you know, it's the smartest way to to go about it. Mm. Um, and then also, you know, with startups, you know, how much of a runway you need depends on on how much money is starting to come in for the business. and the more you can get income to the business right away, uh, the, the longer a runway you have to, mm -hmm. to build it up. But think really about that financial risk, you know, across the whole life. You hear a lot of stories about um, entrepreneurs just, you know, letting their relationships and their families fall yeah. to the wayside. Like that's, that's not great risk management because, you know, if you've got, if you need a support network, if you're putting everything mm. into this business, um, making sure you've got just the right amount of investment in your, you know, your, your social network and the people, the people who are going to support you if something goes wrong, that's really important. So, and, and you also see correlation uh, between people who let their personal lives go to hell and let their businesses go to hell. And that's not, you know, it, that's not how it used to be. It used to be that you had to put everything into the business and, you know, the guy in the gray flannel suit goes and the, there's a, you know, stay at home wife and it's all 1950s mm -hmm. and very, you know, separate wives. And, and that's not how it is anymore. I mean, I think a lot of the most successful businesses are people who've got a brilliant, supportive spouse uh, mm -hmm. who's helping to keep the rest of, uh, of life going around them. And you're also seeing some research in it. And I, I mentioned this in your risk, but you know, the, um, the Ashley Madison, the sort of, you know, mm. website for cheating on your spouse, yeah. um, you know, when they had that data hack. And so a bunch of academics took that information and uh, cross-referenced it against like securities fraud and, and other bad things. Mm. They found really strong correlations between cheating on your spouse and doing other things that are actually really dangerous for your business. Yeah. So it's a very different relationship from what, uh, you know, I certainly thought it was as I was growing up and, you know, listening to conversations and seeing movies and TV. Yeah. And that's, that's how it was. And then, of course, there's all these, you know, rom-coms about the, the you know, the, the, the businessman who, you know, puts it all into work and lets the family go to hell. And then some, you know, you know, spunky person comes and teaches yeah. them about the meaning of humanity in life and you know the, the business has to fall apart for them to be redeemed but you know you see that story again and again yeah. in the movies and it, it doesn't have to be that way in life yeah yeah it's been interesting too just even thinking about my personal life like right now my my lovely girlfriend she's in a master's program for social work and she has school like crazy she also has a practicum so she's you know out and then she has school so that gives me a lot of free time to work my face off then i have my 12 year old son turning 13 at the end of this year and he's becoming way too cool for me you know what I'm, so it gives me extra time so that's why i really got to monitor my burnout but but thus far like sometimes i'll take a break and i'll walk into you know his room and be like hey i need a break come on let's hang out and let's watch something and stuff like that but yeah but especially like the financial aspect like 
I, I like, you know, thinking about it kind of like investments, like what, what can I lose? Like if I have like some money where it's just like, almost like gambling, like I don't care if I lose this, I'll play with that with some ads, see if they work. Because as you know, like as a, as a writer, like there's things like popping up, it's like book bub and Goodreads and stuff like that. I'm like, I could spend thousands and I can't even guarantee any results. And, and of course, each of them has a blog that's like, here's all the success stories. I'm like, yeah, I know about survivorship bias. So don't you hit me with that nonsense. But, <laughs> but, but circling back to like about like income and stuff and what we were talking about earlier, I've, I've recently gotten into freelance writing too. And I'm kind of blown away, right? Like I used to basically, I, I used to write, you know, pieces for like 20 bucks, right? And now like seeing what it's really like, like it, you can make some money freelancing, but, but what I'm noticing too is like for every 10 to 20 pitches, you might get one to two jobs out of it, right? Some people don't reply to anything like that. So earlier you were kind of talking about focusing on these small things, but not forgetting about that bigger picture, right? Like at the end of the day, Freelancing is still working for somebody and getting, you know, those instructions. I don't mind working for my audience and, you know, seeing what they like and dislike and all that kind of stuff. But anyways, uh, so that's where I'm kind of curious about opportunity costs because there's some days where I'll just, I'll just spend hours on pitches and 90% of them I don't hear back, right? So, but that is a nice source of income right now. So going back to what you were talking about, focusing on the small thing, but not forgetting about the big, how, how, if you were me or someone like me, how would you kind of look at that freelance work while also building up your own, your own deal? Yeah. Well, I'd look at, you know, the, the publications where you have a really good relationship with the editor, where you really enjoy writing for them mm. and where the, the, you know, the, the money makes it worth your while. And and focus on doing more for those publications because in freelancing the you know the pitching time is often like way more yeah. than you spend i you know, when i was in in graduate school uh and uh it, it, not long afterwards i used to do a lot of freelancing and oh i spent so much time uh on that and so the more you can minimize the the pitching time and focus on what's working uh i think the better the better off you are mm. And the other thing, you can't do it as much as you used to. When when I started out early in my career, uh, it used to be back in the day that if a publication took your piece, it was first North American serial rights, which means they could run it. And that was that was it. Mm -hmm. um, and that was before databases. And then, of course, they started putting it in their databases and on their websites, but not paying you more. And they all got sued to CNE versus New York Times. And, hmm. you know, I need up like many other people got a, a bunch of settlement checks from that. It was like a class action suit that oh, went wow. all the way up to the Supreme Court. So what happened was the publications all lawyered up and they started demanding the copyright and all the rights to everything. And a lot of younger freelancers aren't aware that that's not how it, you know, it used to be. And I, um, you know, I basically say, look, I'll, I'll license, but I won't give away my, my copyright. And so yeah. I think that's really important to pay attention to when you are freelancing, be sure that uh, you retain ownership in order to do what you need to do with it. Mm. Uh, a lot of them, they want to make it a, a, you know, a work for hire. Um, and if they want more than you usually give, then you know, they, they need to compensate you for that. Mm. Um, so I think it's, it's being very strategic about 
uh, the kind of relationship with the with the publishers and what sort of yeah. reuse you can do. I see all these people write these books and they're like, oh, thank you to this magazine for letting me republish this. I'm like, what? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and, and there are magazines that, that you know, and, and other publications that I've written for where, you know, I'll certainly acknowledge in my books because they've been, you know, really wonderful and mm-hmm. supportive. But acknowledging that relationship is very different from saying, you know, oh, you know, thank you for letting me use my own intellectual property, which is not okay. So that's, you know, and that's something I really would would love to see a lot of younger writers paying much more attention yeah. to, because I mean, in there, there's so many publications these days that, um, you know, they don't pay you anything, or there there's some of the bigger business publications where it's a pay to play, like you have to, you have to pay them, oh yeah, be part of their whatever circle, yeah, which just blows my mind yeah no it's it's crazy i wish i wish more average people knew about kind of the the publishing industry too like for example like uh you know part of part of uh what we did as a a marketing a branding company was we you you can reach out to these publications and pay to place uh, a byline in there and stuff, you know, and, and that's crazy. And then a lot of people don't even realize, you know, like the Buzzfeed model, I'd see the verge do it a lot where they write a piece about a product and it's, it's paid, it's an advertisement or even some of these listicles and all that. But yeah, I'm trying to learn more about that. Um, and like the other day I sent, I got sent a contract and I actually sat there and like looked through it to see <laughs> what was in it and stuff. But something else I'm, I'm looking at too this morning, I was actually, uh, I don't know if, if you've heard of Christine Catherine Rush. Are you familiar with her? <laughs> She's uh, yeah. She writes a lot of books like for authors and writers and stuff. And she has this, gigantic book called the freelancer survival guide but uh part of what uh the part i was reading this morning was about like see like calculating how much your hourly rate should be and noticing where you make a profit and kind of like what you're talking about i like that idea of building good relationships with publications i like because as you mentioned like yeah like sometimes i'll be going back and forth on a pitch and they'll be, they'll want like outline and outline and tweak and outline and then it might fall through and i'm like I could have been doing something else. You know what I mean? So I'm looking at that. But but the last thing, the last thing I'll ask you too, and it kind of ties all this stuff up, um, is this. Like, how often should a person like myself or anybody really, like getting into any new endeavor, how often is it good to like sit back and reassess the situation? Because a lot of what we've talked about, um, it seems like, we kind of got to watch it and it and it's constantly moving, right? Like if I start bringing in a lot of income, the, what I can risk changes, you know what I mean? So like, do you do this on like a monthly, a quarterly basis, weekly? I don't know. What's a good, what's a good rule of thumb? Where should I set on my calendar? Chris, take a step back, assess the situation, see how things are going. I think the answer is, is different for every person. And I think also de- it's different depending on each person's circumstances. So it, mm. you know, one year it might be one thing or another year it might be something else. Um, but definitely quite regularly. Um, one of the things I do is I have like a little uh, to-do list in, um, in Evernote. And at the top, I have the big picture goals listed. Ah, uh, okay. Um, and then it's, you know, further down, it gets into the kind of day-to-day tasks. Uh, one of the tools that I found was, 
uh, was very useful was a, you know, one week, one month, three months, six months, oh, yeah, year, yeah. that, and, and it's, it's, it, it can change as much as you need. Um, but, you know, I think, I don't know if I monthly or quarterly or whatever used to update those things. And the busier I am, the less time I take to, uh, <laughs> to step back. But some of it's also learning what your own internal red flags are. I mean, I'm very lucky that, I mean, well, I, it doesn't always feel so lucky, but I'd like appreciate it is that, you know, my body will tell me if I'm doing something that yeah. is, is not working anymore. You're like, I'll have trouble sleeping. I'll like, you know, my face will break out. I'll, I'll you know, I'll get stressed. I, you know, I, I threw my back out this spring, mm. um, which was a, you know, I think it was due to a bunch of stress that I just didn't have any control over. I did, don't think it was that I needed to do things differently. It just mm -hmm. was what it was. Um, but I find, or I'll find myself less enthusiastic about something. So get a really good sense of, you know, what your body or your, your brain tells you. Uh, mm -hmm. you could also, you know, at one point I used to have a, like a stress meter where I, I was in a job that I just re was really stressful and I was having physical symptoms. And so each, each morning I would write down how yeah. stressed I was and what the conditions were. And I do it in the middle of the day. And then at the end of the day, so, you know, what's the stress level and what are you doing about it? And what's the reasons for the stress level? And just that very act of tracking it actually yeah. gives you the sense of agency and power. So I think the more you can track things, the better. And there, there's some people who say, you know, every morning start out by expressing your gratitude. Mm -hmm. I mean, some people have got daily habits. Uh, I think it, it really depends on the, the person, but having some sort of regular schedule that works for you and mm -hmm. a special schedule for if you've got insomnia or if you come down with a cold or, you know, if your body otherwise tells you that something's not quite mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that idea of breaking down like, you know, larger goals and smaller. That's something like I, I have a calendar where I just do things, but I just kind of throw things up. I just kind of toss things on it. So I need to, I've gotten so much more organized. I used to just like uh, do everything based on memory and that didn't go so well. But anyway, so now I have a calendar, but I like kind of breaking it down a little bit bigger, but to what you're saying too, I'm so I'm so glad, you know, uh, like it sucked being a drug addict, but I'm so glad it led me to really focusing on my mental health. Like that's my top priority. And like you're kind of mentioning, like, uh, you know, I, I spent years like really getting into mindfulness, you know, and if something's off, I, I take a step back and like I assess and, you know, I have, you know, journaling practices and, you know, uh, like you're mentioning gratitude. I try to do that in the mornings and I talk with my son about it and stuff like that. But it helps me take a step back and see and be like, okay, something, something's off. And I, I don't think enough people take that pause, right? Especially when we get so busy. And as we've discussed, I work like crazy. So, but uh, every morning too, I go for like a two mile walk and it gives me some time to kind of like assess, reflect, work through step, you know, and all that. And I have my phone and I'm just taking down notes and trying to work things out and and all that. So I, yeah, I, I think that's a great thing to end on too. It's like taking those, those pauses and being like, okay, where am I at right now? Maybe I need to tweak some stuff a little bit, but I, I, I've gotten, I've gotten so much, I've gotten so much. I should be, I should be paying you 
Uh, but I'm broke right now. So once, once I get money forward, you're putting it forward by sharing it with your audience. You're doing great stuff. And, and I really want to see you do more of it, but it, you know, this, you know, mindfulness, wellness, there's huge corporate markets for those sort of things. I mean, I haven't seen the, the latest numbers, but, but there's a lot of interest in it and you really have a lot to, to bring to it, to give to, to people who you can help, particularly through your own personal experiences. So, you know, I, I, I really want to see you bringing your gifts to more people in the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that something that's definitely been floating around. So, so stay tuned. Interesting stuff. But Michelle, for everybody who just fell in love with you, where can they find you? And something I'm thinking about too, when are you going to make like a workbook with all this stuff? You can make an easy workbook with stuff to just check in. So where can people find you and when are you going to make a workbook for us? Yeah. So you can find me on the mm. with an A. The E will get you there too, but the A is faster, more direct. Um, there actually is a, a workbook uh, that goes with the Gray Rhino. What? What's your Gray Rhino that you can download for free from the website. It's just 12 pages, super, super simple. Cool. Um, and um, and working on one for, uh, for You Are What You Risk. Um, and I'm actually working on developing some of the kinds of things that we talked about uh, before. So, you know, you know, ah. master classes and, and other things. And I, of course, already, you know, work with corporations about sort of, you know, you know, risk, risk fingerprinting um, and, you know, tr- you know, help to get those concepts around to other people, just as the I do with the five stage gray rhino theory, which which has mm-hmm. been pretty widely uh, adopted. So so the gray rhino dot com, um, th- there's a, a newsletter you can sign up for. Um, and I'll have, you know, when, when the when the workbook is ready, then uh, I'll send out the word there as well. You can follow me on Twitter at Wooker, W-U-C-K-E-R. Good part of having a lousy last name is, is it's really, really easy to find. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm also on LinkedIn where I have, a, um, uh, I would say, irregular uh, newsletter that I do there. I, I always mean to do more regularly and uh, life has been a little erratic the last uh, couple of years, but, uh, but I do re- write reasonably often there. Beautiful. I'll link all that stuff down below. And I need to check out that, that workbook for Gray Rhino and, and see what's going on with that. But again, Michelle, thank you so much. I gained a lot. And I hope everybody else did. And and yeah, I'm, I'm 99% sure we'll be doing this again sometime. Been a pleasure. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Michelle about managing our time and risk and, you know, all these different ideas for, you know, just freelancing or doing side businesses and all that. Again, I appreciate her time so, so much. And I hope you found that as useful as I did. I, I was taking notes the entire time and everything. And, and just, I, I absolutely loved it, but you know, I like one of the reasons I love uh, what Michelle does and reading her books and everything is I don't think I don't think a lot of us uh, look at like risk management enough, right? And I know like part of part of my own deal is, you know, I, I, I struggle with anxiety and things like that, even though it's mostly in check. But, but this is something that we should all be doing and you don't have to necessarily obsess about it. Just every decision we make, we're technically risking something, even if it's just time. So I hope you gained a lot from this episode. And yeah, I, I enjoyed going back and listening to it. I'm probably going to listen to it again, as well as rereading some of Michelle's books. So yeah, make sure down in the description, make sure you're following Michelle. I've linked both her books, Gray Rhino and You Are What You Risk. Make sure you check them out and make sure you're following me 
at the rewired soul or on Instagram and Twitter. Some of uh, what we were talking about in this episode, you got some sneak previews on what I'm working on. And yeah, I have some, uh, you know, guest pieces coming up and some interesting publications uh, that hopefully some of you guys enjoy. But yeah, you want to make sure you don't miss them. So make sure you're following me at the rewired soul on Instagram and Twitter. All right. But if you want to help support the podcast, since like we talked about in here, this is one of my part of my new full-time gig. Uh, you can share the podcast. Sharing is probably the best thing you could do. It doesn't cost you a penny. Share these episodes. Any episode we do with some of these amazing authors, if you think people on your you know, Facebook friends list, your followers on Twitter or Instagram might enjoy them, share these episodes. All right. That's a huge, huge help. But also make sure you're following the podcast or subscribe. And if you're over on Apple, Apple Podcasts, take two seconds, leave a rating and review. That stuff really helps. And for anybody who wants to support in other ways, you can head over to TheRewiredSoul.com. I have uh, all of my books that I've written on anxiety, anger management, addiction recovery, helping someone you know who might be an addict. Those are all available at TheRewiredSoul.com. And and if you sign up for the mailing list, you will get a free copy of the ebook for rewire your anxiety. All right. So head over to the rewiredsoul.com, get a free ebook, check out the other books. And another way that really helps uh, support the podcast is if you're like me and you like to focus on your mental health, there is an affiliate link for better help online therapy. So what that means is you get affordable online therapy. You work with a licensed therapist. It's awesome. I've personally used the service and I love it. And when you do that, a little bit comes back to support the podcast and everything I do here. So check out that affiliate link for BetterHelp Online Therapy. All right. But another huge, huge thanks to Michelle. Make sure you're following her. Check out her books. All right. And for the rest of you, have an amazing rest of your day. And this week, I should I, I should still be on track to have five episodes for you this week. We have some great op, uh, authors that I've recorded some episodes with. So make sure that you stay tuned. All right. So, yeah, have a great rest of your day. And I'll see you next time.